we are continuing in the story of the early church in Jerusalem. And so last week with Jimmy, we left off at the end of chapter 2, talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, talking about the forming of community in this new way, talking about the movement of temple being a place where you go to being the people that we are talking about clarity around the truth of the message that they had to share, which was Jesus is Lord, that we need to repent from the way of religion, and that love is the way as we move forward. And so we're going to pick it up there in chapter 3 of Acts in just a few minutes, but I want to tell you a story first about noticing. So I was thinking about during COVID how we did a lot of walking in our family. (laughs) We got a dog during COVID, like everyone did. And we also have four kids in our family. And so outdoor walking of any sort um, was necessary for lots of different reasons. And there's this one path by our house that kind of goes down by a pond. It's like a lovely, quiet, nice place to walk. So we were walking there super regularly in some capacity or another. And I remember this one day I was walking with like nowhere to be, and nothing to get back to, and just you're just walking for a break from whatever was happening uh, in terms of life during that particular season. And I noticed this one bush that was this crazy, like fluorescent yellow color. And that's why I remember noticing. It was like the weirdest color on a bush. And so I went and looked, and it's just like the start of the bud on the bush, but it was like highlighter yellow, so nuts. So just like noticing and then carrying on on the walk. And then a couple of days later, because we're still not doing anything else, we're walking on. On this path again and noticing that now this fluorescent yellow bud has like sprouted something else out of the center of it. It looks like a wild like insect of some kind like all over this bush like just completely crazy. So again I'm like what is this wild growth that I've never seen before? Notice it and just keep walking. And then a few days later still have nothing that we're doing <laughs> ongoing. And so we're there again and it starts to actually take shape into something recognizable. Like now it's starts to look like an actual bud on a plant that I could recognize and be like, oh, like I see, this must just be the normal way that the growth of this particular plant happens. And I have never noticed, I have never been around in the timing or given the attention to notice what was happening. And so I was thinking about that as I was getting ready, as we're looking at these chapters and what it means to notice, what it means to be going at a pace to be able to pay attention to the growth that's happening around us. And sometimes we don't see it even when it's right there, if we're on our way to something else or our attention is elsewhere. And so I just want to keep that in our minds, this idea of noticing and how it could be right in front of us, but we might miss it over and over again. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I was realizing that now it's October, the same path by our house is there, the same bush by our house is there. I'm sure the same crazy highlighter yellow buds were there, but I didn't see them this year. And so that growth that took place um, can be missed, can be not noticed, depending on what's happening. So we'll come back to that. But at the end of chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 43, is talking about how the apostles were performing many signs and wonders. And then as we move into chapter 3, we get a live example of one of those things happening. So Peter and John are uh, in the midst of working out this new way the Spirit has come, and now we hear this story that they're going to engage in. So we're going to start in chapter 1 and read the first chunk together, the first 10 verses together. Chapter 3, verse 1. 
Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. When I read these verses, the first thing that I think of is a we sing Bible song that I learned as a child of walking and leaping and praising God. And I just knew that you would want to know that because then it plays in my head as I talk about the whole thing. But the first 10 verses, we want to notice a few things. This is a miracle. This is a miracle that is incredible. That is so hard for us to even wrap our minds around what is happening here. A crippled beggar, crippled for his whole life, has been healed. And so we want to look at what is happening. We want to notice what Peter and John are doing. And the first thing that we see is that at the beginning, they are going to the temple for prayer. So at three o'clock in the afternoon, this is one of the three times of day that Jews would go to the temple to pray. And so we see how this shift that has taken place that we've talked about, and the Spirit has come, but Peter and John are still working out what it means to mix the ways that they know with this new way that has come. And there's not like a right or wrong way to do this. It's good for them to be going to the temple to pray. So they're following in the rhythms that they know, but when they get to the temple and they see this crippled man who's there every time, now in this new way that they have learned from Jesus, in this new way of being empowered by the Spirit, they notice him. They notice him. I think in a way that they didn't notice him before. And so they're still walking in the rhythms that they know, but they're not letting those things have them be stuck in this old way that they were. The new way is being informed by this spirit that is equipping and empowering them, and they stop what they're doing, and they notice this person in front of them. And I was thinking about, when we were talking two weeks ago about compassion, talking about the least of these, talking about the marginalized, and this is what this man is. This is what this man is, the forgotten in his society, the cast to the side, right? Probably, especially if he has been begging at this gate for his whole life, he just blends right in with the scenery that's there. And so to notice him and spend time with him is huge. It's a huge deal. And I love how it says in verse four that Peter and John looked at him intently. So they're moving close, like we were talking about. They're moving in to where he is. They want to see him and they want to recognize his real need. So we see this shift, and then we see Peter offer what he has in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk, and instantly this miracle is happening. His legs and feet are strengthened. He jumped up. He's praising God. He 
fully understands in his body what has taken place. And then because of the hoopla, I'm sure that's happening as he's jumping around and praising, all kinds of other people now come to see. And so there's different kinds of noticing that are taking place here, right? Peter and John, equipped and informed by the Spirit, notice in a moment where it looks like not much is going on. And they move closer. They're paying attention to the way that God is leading. They are working out the Spirit in their lives. And then amazing things happen and more people notice. And again, I don't think either one is wrong. It's, of course, we're going to notice when something miraculous happens. We should. <laughs> we should. But it's two different types of noticing. And we want to pay attention to what we're moving close to as those things go on. So this amazing miracle has happened, and now we're going to pick up the story. In verse 12, we want to see what Peter is going to do. Miracle has happened, and now we have an opportunity. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact." Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. So Peter sees the people are gathering, the people are noticing, and he says, this is my opportunity to point to Jesus. This is my opportunity to give the full glory to God. And if anybody is thinking that it's me or John that have anything to do with the goodness that is happening here, then let me just set the record straight and point everyone's attention back to Jesus. And in case anyone's confused about who Jesus is that we're talking about, let me also remind you that this is the Jesus that you killed. <laughs> this is the one that you did not see in the way that you needed to when you had the opportunity to. And so notice what has not been good about the way that you were moving, about the way that you have chosen, and see how you need to turn your attention back to who Jesus really is. See what he has done, see who he is, understand this is the power and the life that we are talking about. He wants people to understand. He wants people to notice. And he wants them to know that it is only through Jesus that this is happening. As he keeps talking then, if we jump down to verse 19, he's not missing a beat in terms of what the next steps should be for people as they're giving their attention and giving their focus back to who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, in verse 19, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins will be wiped away. And then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. So he's saying, Note, see what's happened here, this amazing miracle. Understand that this is because of who Jesus is. And as you move towards that understanding of Jesus, it will move you to repent. It will move you to see the need for change in your own life so that you can give your attention back to him. He says, repent and turn. 
in verse 19. And this is from the same root word, the same root word, repent and turn. Notice and then shift where you are that we want to come near to God because he has made a way for us to be near. And so we see this kind of pattern of stopping, of noticing, of turning, of receiving. And when I think about that, it just rings so true with the ongoing way that I experience Jesus in my life. There are so many times where like I'm walking down a path and I'm going somewhere (laughs) and that's what I'm focused on. And I'm just going about the rhythms that I know. I'm doing my day and I'm accomplishing the things and all, and something will happen that causes me to stop, which can be all manner of things. Something causes me to stop and that this is the opportunity to notice, to notice and to pay attention to what Jesus is saying, to turn myself back more fully to him. Because a lot of what we're trying to do is good. A lot of how we're trying to live is good, but we can get off track. We can become focused on strange things. We can spend our energy in unusual ways and we might not even realize it. And so we need to slow down the pace. We need to give our attention to God. We need to stop and turn. We need to repent often of things that have gotten us off track that have been not in line with the truth of who Jesus is and who he has called us to be. And then we want to turn our whole selves, our attention, our lives, our purpose, back fully fixed on who Jesus is, our appointed Messiah. So he takes his opportunity, Peter, to tell them, who this is about, and what they should do in response. And then we're going to skip ahead into chapter 4 to pick up the rest of the story. Because Peter and John now have drawn this crowd, both through this miracle that has taken place, through the power of the Spirit, as well as Peter's loud chatting about (laughs) why this matters, they've drawn all kinds of attention, and both the political and the spiritual leaders of the day are not happy. They're not into this and what is happening. And in verse 2, in chapter 4, we see the leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. So we'll come back to that in just a second. But we see how the, the leaders are not down with what is happening. They don't want this kind of noticing because it's potentially going to disrupt what they want to remain the same. So they throw Peter and John in jail. <laughs> They throw them in jail because it's late. They don't want to deal with it that night. They put them in jail overnight, and they're like, we'll come back to it the next morning. But before we pick up on that story, look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4. So Peter and John in jail, coming back to that. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So like, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. This miracle has happened. This opportunity has been taken and people are turning to Jesus. (laughs) It's happening. It's happening by the thousands. It's crazy and it's so good. And it's just thrown in like a little afterthought in the next part of the story. (laughs) But it's so good to notice And I feel like sometimes even when we're reading the stories and in scriptures, we can miss it. We can miss it. 
5,000 and not even including women and children, which is a whole other thing. But <laughs> there's a ton of people that are turning, that are seeing, that are saying yes to Jesus because of what has happened and because of how Peter and John are drawing their attention to who Jesus is. This is amazing. So back to Peter and John. They are in jail overnight until the next morning. And then the next morning they come before the council. So this is a mix of political and religious leaders that are not happy with them. And this is the council, teachers of religious law that are there in Jerusalem. And it is largely made up of the Sadducees. So we see that back in verse one. Sadducees are there. They're making up this council. And the Sadducees are from the like rich Jewish class. So like aristocratic, they're wealthy, and they're kind of working in partnership with Rome because they're okay with it because they still have power. So they're down with partnering with Rome, protecting their power in that way. And one thing that the Sadducees are not okay with is the suggestion of the resurrection. It is not something that they believe. It is not something that they think is okay. They don't want anybody else talking about resurrection from the dead as something that is possible or as something that has happened in the case of Jesus. So we see that when we were back in verse two, how they're upset, they're disturbed. And what are they disturbed about? That they might be talking about the resurrection of the dead. So they're very focused on this one thing that they're, that's important to them and that contains their power and authority, they don't want this thing to be questioned. And so they bring Peter and John before them then, and in verse seven, they're saying, by what power or in whose name have you done this? And it's significant to note here that they're not talking about the miracle, they're not denying it, they're not trying to explain away the miracle, they're not trying to say it didn't happen, they're not even talking about it. It's like they don't even care. They're also not really talking about the other things that Peter said, but they're just very focused on what authority are you claiming to have to talk about this? And is it going to threaten what matters to us? Because that's what we need to know. So Peter in verse eight is given an opportunity again to speak the things that he knows are true. They're saying, we're asking you this question, who's authority? And he's like, I'm going to tell you. Verse eight, <laughs> filled with the Holy Spirit, which is why he is ready to go. He said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Yes. He is like, you're going to ask me, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and this is what it's about. And this is what it's about. So I don't know if Peter doesn't realize that they're kind of focused on this idea of the resurrection specifically, or he cares <laughs> what they're driving to, but he sees this opportunity and he's going to shift the focus back to what actually matters most. Earlier, he made a point of saying, this is not about John and I. We're not the ones. There's nothing special about us. There's nothing that we're bringing in terms of power or godliness. It's not about us. It's also not about what you're focused on. This is about who Jesus is. 
See what matters. Like notice the significance of this. Give your attention to this. And when he has the opportunity to speak, he says it again and again and again. If, do you want to know? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> this is about Jesus. And this is who Jesus is. And this is what it means as we live into that truth. So the council, here's Peter <laughs> say this, um, and they don't know what to do. Verse 13, they're amazed at how he's speaking with so much boldness, empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're like, where did this guy come from? What is happening? What is going on? They're amazed at how he's speaking, but they do not know what to do. And they can see that the man who was lame is now there. So they can't just say nothing happened because <laughs> there's solid evidence that this miracle has taken place. So they send them away and they're like, what are we supposed to do? We can't just make this go away. We can't keep it quiet. What are we supposed to do? And so they bring Peter and John back and they tell them that they need to just stop talking about Jesus. They're like, you need to just stop talking about this. It's propaganda, it's lies, it's misleading. So as the authorities that we are, we're just gonna tell you, you have to stop. And Peter and John replied, this is in verse 19, 419. Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. They're like, there's no way. There's no way. Because we know who Jesus is. We know what the Holy Spirit has done. We know that this is the truth to end all truths. And nothing else matters when this is what is true. And so there's no way that we could stop talking about this. Love it. So the council still not knowing, threaten them some more, and then send them on their way. <laughs> because what else are they going to do? So away they go. And then in verse 23, Peter and John, as soon as they're freed, they head back to the other believers. They return to the other believers, telling them what has happened. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. So they return back to the community that has been forming around the coming of the Holy Spirit, around the truth of who Jesus is. They come back together and they come to God in prayer. And they pray together to God to equip them afresh with boldness, with courage, with what they need to continue to speak the truth. So they have just done that. They've just done that twice in front of a huge crowd of people and in front of this council of authority, this council of leaders, they've done it twice, but they immediately return and they pray saying, God, we need you. If we're gonna keep doing this, we need you. And I think it just shows beautifully again how they're so aware that this is, it's not them that's doing this. It's not them that is able to just speak with boldness and clarity or turn people's attention to Jesus. This is the work of the spirit in and through them. And they know that they need to continue to come back to Jesus for what they need. They come back to pray and then pick it up. The last chunk of the story that we're going to talk about today, pick it up in verse 31 and read a little bit more together about what happens. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. All the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. We read this a couple weeks ago, right? So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. 
So they go back to community, they pray together, and what happens? What are the results that we see in these verses? They are filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone, everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit. They preach the truth. They preach the message of Jesus with boldness. They are united in heart and mind. They share everything that they have. They testify powerfully to who Jesus is. This affects their lives. They move to care for each other's practical needs by changing the way that they lived, like we talked about a couple weeks ago when we're looking at compassion, by shifting what they're doing so that they have more to give to other people. The way that they are living out their daily lives, living out their faith, changes because it's informed by the, imp the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They are moved towards compassion. They are moved towards community. They are moved towards boldly proclaiming the message of the gospel. They want everyone to know that Jesus is Lord, that the way of religion is done, that love is the way forward because of what Jesus has accomplished. And that it will not just be something that they know in their heads, but that it will be something that is lived out in the fabric of their lives. Holy cats, that's great. So then we move into chapter five, and we are not gonna really spend a lot of time here because we wanna get back to the things that we wanna take away from the chunk of the narrative that we've talked about. But in chapter five, just quickly, we do have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and then later we also have, at the end of chapter five, we have the story of Gamaliel, um, and both, are full of things to talk about and really fascinating <laughs> topics. And so I just wanna mention that even though we're not gonna spend time on it right now, that it's something that we can come back to um, at the end of the series. So in the last week, there's gonna be a chance for questions and talking about things that are kind of lingering. So if there's anything there from the rest of chapter five as you're talking about it with friends or you're talking about it in home church or you're just mulling it over, um, that we can come back to that if you wanna send in questions on any of those particular topics. But for the sake of what we're talking about here and the rhythms that we're seeing, I just want to also notice that it kind of repeats this pattern in chapter 5 too. The apostles continue to preach boldly, like we just heard as they're empowered. The leadership keeps freaking out. Like they keep facing opposition. It's not like it was a one-shot deal. And then they return to prayer. And then they go back and they do it again. And so we see this rhythm of receiving from God what they need to be equipped and then responding and living it out and continuing in that over and over again as the way, as the way that they're going to spend their lives because of what they have experienced, because of what they know to be true. So for us, as we kind of move to wrapping up then, just want to talk about what are some things as we look at this story, and we've mentioned some of them as we go along, but as we look at this story, this narrative of what is happening in the early church, what are the things that we want to hold on to that we want to take out for ourselves? Some reminders for us um, that I think we can continue to kind of mull over from here. So the first one is the reminder that we don't want to miss the miracle. We don't want to miss the miracle. If we look back at what is happening here when this crippled man is healed, it's amazing. It's amazing. And all the people gather around. But then as the story goes on, we see that there was a bunch of people that were there that were somehow in proximity, the Sadducees, some other leaders, presumably some other people that, that didn't see that as the important thing that has happened, that they missed it. 
They missed it because they're focused on the things that they're holding close for themselves. Instead of being amazed that this man who has been lame for his whole life, over 40 years, it tells us, instead of being focused on this and just overwhelmed and turning to God, they're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, what does this mean for the source of our power and authority? We're we're probably not okay with this because it's going to threaten what we hold as valuable. And they miss it. They miss this amazing thing that has happened right in front of them. They're worried. They're worried about what it's going to mean for what they have based their lives on. They're worried about how it infringes on the rules and traditions and ways that they're comfortable with. They're worried about losing something and they miss the amazingness that is happening right in front of them. And I wonder how often this happens for us. How often this happens for us, okay? What do we even know? What do we even know all the times that we're missing the miracle? And we don't need to feel (laughs) bad about it, but we do need to be awake to the possibility of this so that we don't miss it. All over the place, Jesus is here. The power of the Holy Spirit is here. It is bringing new life. It is restoring things that have been not working and dead for over 40 years. He is here now. He is here now. He is showing us the way. Do we notice or do we miss it? Do we see and speak of the things that God is doing in us, that God is doing around us, that God is doing through us, or do we miss it because we're focused on what is comfortable, because we're just plowing ahead with what we know, because we're worried about releasing something that we want to keep holding on to? Do we miss it? We can be a part of the miracles that are happening all over the place in the kingdom that has come if we will slow down, if we will embrace interruption in our day, if we will look intently at someone who's been there every other time that we've been in that place, right? They've been to the temple lots of times to pray at three o'clock, probably. (laughs) And this guy was there. But today, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they saw him. They noticed, and then because of their attention, because of their obedience to God, God was able to move and do this amazing thing, partnering with them to show his glory, to show his power. We do not want to miss the miracle. The second thing to remember is that we don't want to miss the opportunity. We don't want to miss the opportunity. When we are aware of the things that God is doing in us, through us, around us, we want to take every opportunity to point to Jesus. Peter doesn't miss a beat. He's like, yeah, you see this thing that's happened? Let me tell you why it matters. Because we don't want to miss the miracle, but also the miracle's not the thing. The miracle's not the thing. It's only the thing because it points to Jesus. Jesus is the thing. (laughs) And so we want to take the opportunity to point to Jesus. We want to take the opportunity to speak boldly about who we know Jesus is in our lives because of what we have experienced. We want to proclaim the gospel boldly, relationally, in a way that is present, in a way that is true to who we are, but we don't want to miss the opportunity to point to Jesus, to say, this is why, this is why, this is who Jesus is. He is the one who has made a way. He is the one who has defeated death. He is the one who has brought new life 
that I am living now into the kingdom that he brings because of what Jesus has done. Let me tell you, let me show you, let me point you to Jesus. And it will be so good as you turn your attention to him. We don't want to miss the opportunity to point to Jesus because this is the truth. He is the truth that changes lives. He is the thing that everyone is longing for. He is the thing that our whole world needs. And so if we're paying attention, if we're slowing down, if we're noticing, if we're seeing the miracles that are taking place, I think we will also be amazed at the opportunities that come for us to point to Jesus. And it might be in giant, bold ways in front of a whole crowd. It might be in much smaller ways that are no less significant, that are no less significant, that are no less impactful on people's lives and on the world around us. We want to take every opportunity, big or small, to point to Jesus. And the last reminder for us, I think, that's here that we kind of touched on already is not that we don't want to shortcut the rhythm of receiving and responding So this is what we see the disciples doing, right? They are speaking boldly. They are living into the equipping of the Spirit, and crazy things are happening. And then as soon as they're released and they have a little pause and break, what do they do? They go back to community, and they get on their knees before God. Mm -hmm. They are praying, saying, God, we need you. And I don't know if this is always our default, when, when things are going well. Maybe even not when things, are, when things are going not well, but sometimes when things are going not well, it's our default to return to God. But if we've just had this amazing thing, like this crazy miracle and 5,000 people plus are coming to know Jesus, like is it our default to go back and get on our knees and be like, Jesus, I need you. I'm so aware of my need for you right now. I don't know if it is. I don't know if we're always in this rhythm of realizing our perpetual need for God, our perpetual need for God. This is ongoing. And as we pour out the truth of who Jesus is in whatever ways we can, it must be our rhythm, our practice to return to him faithfully and say, thank you for the ways that you have equipped me to do this. And I I need you again every hour. I need you. Every day, I need you. Because none of this is in our own strength. None of this is in our own capacity. None of this is based in our own knowledge or our own power of any kind. Anything that is going to have this kind of impact, that is going to bring life, that is going to be a truth that resonates in souls is from Jesus. And so we have to be continually coming back seeking God, receiving from him so that we can continue to live into the change, so that our lives will be shifted because we're so continually refreshed and restored by the spirit that we're going to be compelled to living in a new way. But if we start to do it in our own strength, in our own doing, in our own version, it goes wonky fast, really fast. And so we must come back to this rhythm of receiving and responding as the way that we are sustained, as the way that we are living. We also need to be reminded ourselves of what it's all about, of the reason why, of this message of the gospel that has come, that Jesus is Lord, that we must turn away from the ways that we were doing things before, that we want to live into the way of love. And as we come back again and again and again to Jesus, we'll remember why in a way that will inform how we move forward. We'll be restored to the truth of who God is, of who we are, 
in a way that will allow us to continue to be transformed by him. Why don't we pray together? Jesus, thank you for the gift of scripture. Thank you for the gift of a history and a story and a narrative that just grounds us in who we are as your people, that shows us the story of how the early church began and grew and that there is so much richness here for us to hold on to, Jesus. Thank you for the truth that we can pull out and see in our own lives. And Father, we do need you in all of these ways. There is no way that we can understand. There is absolutely no way that we can live into the truth of this without the equipping and the empowerment of your spirit, Jesus. But we know that you have given it, that you are here, that you are with us, Lord, that you are with us. And so I pray that we will continue to be open, continue to be in a rhythm of coming to you, Lord, of receiving in an ongoing way the gift of your spirit, of being filled in an ongoing way by the power of the resurrection, of being directed in an ongoing way by the way of Jesus, by the way of love, Lord. Our hearts are to live as your church in all of these ways. And we need your help. We need your help, Lord. We pray you will continue to come. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.